The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Welcome to Episode 9 of The Wizard Files, the special podcast interview series where we go behind the scenes with former staff members of Wizard Magazine. I'm Adam, and joining us this time around is a man with an eye for design who added flair and fun to our favorite guide to comics, as well as some hilarious original art. Welcome to the show, Ryan Dunlavy. You got it on the first try. Amazing. Yes. <laughs> you see these names in print I, I, so I get much. more perturbed when people misspell my name than mispronounce it, because I'm just like, just copy and paste it. But it happens all the time. <laughs> all right. Well, so here's just as we start off here, Ryan, the first question I have is, you know, you've stayed in the business. You've stayed connected to the world of comics. So how often does your time at Wizard come up in your daily life? Quite a bit, because the artwork that I did for them I actually had two stages of working for Wizard. First as a designer and then later as a freelance illustrator. But for my illustration work, I have to deal with it at least once a day. Wow. I sell prints of it. Um, people email me about it. I get jobs because of them. So, yeah, that's going to be a presence in my life until I die. <laughs> sure. You cannot escape and it. And it'll be, it'll, it'll be my family's problem. Well, that's great, though. So, yeah, we're going to get more into those details for sure about the, the two tours of duty. But let's go back to the beginning. Let's learn how comics entered your life. So why don't you tell us your origin story? Oh, sure. Comic books, I guess, started to become a thing for me when I was 13. Uh, before that, I had had a pretty diverse series of interests as a kid. I played sports. I mean, I, comics were there, but it was really like way in the background because I like played sports. I rode a mini bike. I was into science and reading. I was just into a whole bunch of stuff. I grew up in the 70s. And uh, superheroes weren't a big thing. Star Wars was a much bigger thing. But when I turned 12, this was like 1983, Suddenly, my family my family moved overseas. We moved to Hong Kong. And all the things that I was into suddenly were not available to me anymore. I couldn't play baseball. I couldn't ride my motorbike. I couldn't do anything. Movies came out like six months later at that time. There was no television. There was no English language television. Wow. Literally. And so, but what happened was I went to a, one of the first friends that I made, went over to his house on a sleepover, and he had this giant stack of X-Men comics. And these were the ones that were written by Chris Claremont, drawn by Paul Smith. And the one that he had on the stack was the one where um, Rogue becomes one of the X-Men. And I knew the character because I had a, um, one comic that I'd had was her first appearance where she's this just 100% out-and-out villain. And so I see this comic. I'm like, wait, she's a bad guy. How does she become one of the good guys? And I knew nothing about the X-Men. And I just was just fascinated by it. And I started reading it, and I just got hooked. And comic books were available in Hong Kong. And so the next three, four years that I lived there, that was what I did is I read comic books. And I was already drawing. I just started drawing them, too. It just became, like, the thing that I was really into. Yeah, that, that was actually going to be my next question. So obviously, you know, known as an illustrator, as a designer mm -hmm. in the magazine. But for you growing up and drawing, Drawing your own comics, were you doing panel layouts? Were you drawing just like splash pages? You know, or what, what was, were you doing? You know what? I think very early on, because that became my favorite comic, I decided to try to do my own issue of Marvel Team Up <laughs> of Spider Man. And it was Spider Man and Rogue, but I had no idea how to do a story about them. And so they just like sort of hung out. And I think I got two pages into it and I just gave up. I did some comic strips before that, like when I was a little kid, more like Peanuts type stuff. 
but it wasn't something I really did till I went to college. And I met a bunch of guys that I would went to college for illustration. By that point, I knew I wanted to become a commercial illustrator. But I was thinking more like science fiction or like, you know, maybe going into animation, doing book covers, things like that. And it wasn't until I met this group of people that had a comic book club and they were making their own comics every semester. And I just joined the club and started making comics like, oh, yeah, of course we can make comics. And, you know, we were writing and drawing our own stuff. And I met a lot of people who are pros now. I mean, that's where I met Fred Van Lente, who's like my main uh, collaborator now. And Steve Ellis was there. He's a pretty well-known he draws a series called The Only Living Boy. Um, another illustrator named uh, Donato Giancola was in there. And we were all just making our own comics. And a bunch of other people, too, have gone on. There's this other guy named Joe Vox who went on, and he's an animator for Family Guy now. It was kind of a cool place you know, to meet a lot of different people. Yeah, find those like-minded folks. I do find it interesting as well. You're our second interview in a row where Rogue mm-hmm. was like the starting point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just a different era <laughs> really of was. Rogue. She was like, she was like the like, gateway character. I thought she was really cool. So now, uh, as far as leading up to your time at Wizard, you know, you're first credited, at least according to our archives, as a contributing designer in the July 1996 issue number 59. Uh, okay. But what was your journey that led you to working at Wizard? That's funny. It's July because I actually started six months earlier. I was, I guess I wasn't credited for a while. I had moved to New York City in uh, like the fall of 95. I'd been in like the Philly suburbs for a year. I'd been working for two years after college. But two years after college, I was working as a t-shirt designer. I was getting kind of bored with it. I wanted to make my mark as an illustrator. And New York seemed to be the place to be. I had three friends that were moving here, including Fred Van Lente and, and Steve Ellis. And we all just got an apartment in New York. And I thought, oh, I'm here. You know, I can just start finding illustration jobs. And it didn't work that way. So I was very back to doing graphic design work that I'd been doing uh, when I lived in Philly. And I was on like second or third job just doing production work and graphic design when I was like, I need a new one. This, these aren't working out. And I actually answered a classified ad in the newspaper for a graphic designer, but it was in Nyack, New York, which I'd never heard of. But I had a car. And I could get there, and I realized it was Wizard Magazine. I'm like, oh, comics, you know, that's good. Um, that's kind of what I want to do. Um, my roommate was already drawing for Marvel, and I was like, that'd be cool if I, <laughs> I could do some stuff like that. And I interviewed, and with Steve Blackwell, he was the he was the design director at the time. And two of their designers had left, and he was suddenly promoted to the head designer, and they were short-staffed, and they just needed somebody to come in like two or three days a week. And I tried it out for about a week, and the drive was from Brooklyn to Nyack was pretty brutal, but uh, I did it anyways, and uh, it seemed like a good fit. It was a fun, relaxing place to, to work at. Steve's a great guy. Um, he was very supportive of me, and it was just him and Arlene So, and it was just so it was just the three of us for like about a year, just doing all the graphic design. On at that point, they had two magazines. They had uh, another one called Inquest. Right. Yeah, doing all the gaming stuff. And I was mostly doing production nuts and bolts type stuff. I would scan in all the all the comic images that they'd pull from the archives and uh, clean them up. Typeset all the all the regular articles, the things like the top tens and the interviews on the back pages, the mastheads. Now that I, now you you mentioned it when you said that like I didn't appear in the masthead, I think I had to ask for it because I was technically a part time employee, and uh, so they didn't list me there. <laughs> and I was setting the masthead. I'm like, how come I'm not on here? I'm not. I make me a contributing designer. Like, oh yeah, you should be. Yeah, like you said, it was actually not a really packed masthead. When I looked at it, I was like, wow, yeah, it does look like kind of a skeleton crew at this point for that moment in time. Yeah, it was. 
lot of people take for granted how important the design of Wizard Magazine was to its popularity. Because it wasn't just that there were, you know, funny articles in there. It wasn't just that there was a price guide or, you know, an interview with a top artist. A lot of other magazines and publications had done that over the years. But it was the look of Wizard. So when you got there, what struck you just from a design point of view? What were they doing that was so special? It was just, it was really bright and it was really clean and colorful and it just seemed to make a lot of sense. I think they just, when I'd gotten there, they'd just done a whole rebranding. I'd sit, looked at the earlier issues and I think what turned me off is like, you look at some of the first ones, like the background, there's like these, it's very muddy in like yeah. design wise, but it just, at that point, like around, it was, I guess it was issue 55 or so when I came in, everything was very clean. There were white pages, big, bright, colorful artwork, clear headlines. They were using very bouncy, fun fonts for the headlines. And there was a lot of attention made to the design of the page and how things would be read, kind of like a comic book page, which made a lot of sense. Now, was a lot of it intuitive for you, or were there a lot of concepts and things you had actually learned in school, you know, with your degree that were being applied? Or was it like, well, this just looks better. <laughs> Do it this way. Yeah, it was. I mean, a lot of it, it was just I, but I think I, I learned a tremendous amount working there. I think I definitely came out a better designer than when I started. And also, like, some of the programs they were using, I wasn't really using desktop software. I didn't actually do a whole lot of graphic design before I started there. I was mostly doing production work. So I was designing t-shirts and I knew how to like separate the colors for that and to, you know, design these one great big image for a shirt. But designing a page, setting type, knowing what letting and all that stuff is, I kind of learned on the job. And they definitely pulled me up <laughs> from where I was. I had the skills. I knew my way around a computer. I knew my way around Photoshop. I kind of learn typography right there on the job. Now, did you notice, were there a lot of last minute like additions and like, oh, man, we're down to the deadline? Or was it a pretty well-oiled machine by this point where I was like, no, we know what's going in? They were still doing things kind of mechanically back then where, you know, nowadays you when you, you can just send everything digitally to the printer. Back then, what they were doing is they had to send it to a separate graphics studio that printed out the CMYK breakdown for every single page. So it was almost a month out before you actually saw them on the stands. Wow, okay. It was a long lead time. So I don't really remember much, much last-minute stuff. Well, that's good. So for you, do you recall like a particular feature or one where you were given maybe more free reign as, as your tenure went on there? Do you find something that sticks out and you're like, oh, when I put this together, it was a lot of fun? There was, yeah, there was, they did a manga column for a while. And I thought it could use a little sprucing up. And I just asked, hey, hey, can I take a stab at this? Because usually it was Steve or they had these two other uh, designers, Brad Fountain and uh, Matt Tierney, who did the lead on the articles. And Arlene would do stuff, too. But I was mostly doing just like following their templates. And that one came in and I thought it could use a refresh. And I just asked Steve, I'm like, can I take a shot at this? And he said, go ahead. And the design that I came up with, I can't remember what issue it was, and like stayed for quite a while even after I left. So I was happy with that. Yeah, major mark for sure. And also they all started doing uh, trading cards too. So I was I was working on those. Oh, neat. When they dropped those in, there was one that they did. It was, I think, I, I don't know if, it, I, you know what? I don't want to take credit for it because I might not have come up with the idea, but they did a Spider-Man trading card that was die cut. And it was like, he, it's him like against a web and the web was cut out. Oh, neat. So it's like this, it's like the top half of it was like a ninja star. <laughs> and that's what they used it for around the, around the, because they were also like chrome so it was literally like a deadly weapon and uh i don't know if it was my idea to do that but uh i did do the production on it 
Neat. Wow, yeah, that's a great one. I'm sure a lot of people remember that. They came back, and everybody's like, oh, my God, this thing is going to take somebody's eye out. <laughs> and they did that for a while, and they did one that was insane. It was like Batman and Wildcat in a boxing ring, mm-hmm. and the die cut was so elaborate. It was it was almost like a, like a paper sculpture. It was insane. Yeah, no, it felt like by 1996-97, you know, Wizard was really in full swing. They were like the cornerstone of comics media. So how would you describe, like, the vibe of The Office and what kind of, you know, famous faces came through or did you ever get to interact with? Uh, You know, I didn't really interact with people that much just because I was kind of, I was pretty low on the totem pole. Ever see him from afar? Yeah, or you know what? Actually, actually, my office was in a. We had a great big graphic design room with a closed door, and Steve had his own room. But then there was also this little alleyway that where we had the, the, the one of the really good computers, and I would work there, and I could hear everything in the office. And uh, the conference room was right behind me, and so I used to when people would come in, I would hear their whole conversation, and they're just sort of like there was never anything like really that interesting or. Or, or crazy behind the scenes. Every once in a while, my roommates would be like, well, what do you hear about, you know, comics? What's going to happen? You know, what rumors do you know that are happening? And I'm just, I don't know, Electric Superman? That was one that I <laughs> oh. started. I remember being interviewed on camera by Jimmy Palmiotti and Joe Casada when they were still doing Ash, that comic. Uh-huh. And they just went around and just interviewed everybody in the office for something that they were doing, I think, for one of the conventions. But that's about, that was about it. I don't remember much else. So what would you say that for you personally, outside of just the on-the-job training, what was the perk of working at Wizard for you? You said you liked comics, but did that energy grow within you as you were working there? Yeah, it definitely did. I mean, I had, had been really into superhero comics all through high school. And then right when I got to college, which was around 91... 1990-91, I really started to lose it. I was still into comics, but I really started to lose interest in superheroes in general. And then I go, of course, five, you know, four years later, I land at Wizard. I'm like, oh boy. But you know what? The best part about it is I could read anything. And anytime they had me do an article on something, they, you know, it's like, oh, we're doing an article on Silver Surfer. Here's just the last four or five years of Silver Surfer comics. And I would just sit there and read them all. <laughs> it was, you know, pretty great. I literally think I read every single comic that came out at the time I was there. Wow. They also had comp boxes, and the comics I was into, nobody else wanted. So I was picking up, like, the Batman Adventures comics for free. I was picking up every indie comic that you could think of for free. And these were just comps that came to the office. So that was nice. Yeah, that, yeah that's a pretty sweet deal. I mean, another thing that happened is we got a lot, we got all the premiums from the magazine. And this is really bad, but I knew I was leaving the job. And um, I could probably use a little extra money. And I just discovered a thing called eBay. And about a month before I left, I cleaned up their archives in the design room. And I found all sorts of extra half issues and ace issues. And I made a big stack of them. And I took them home. And I sold them. And that paid my rent for like about two months. So, uh, yeah. I heard you're not the only one. There was one time Toy Fair had just come out right before I left. That was a lot of fun to work on. And the first issue, the, one of the premiums they gave new subscribers or something was a Molten Man figure. And this was the only place you could get right. it. And I think they only made like 2,000 of them. And I was big into toys. So I was excited to get it. But then I was like, I got it. I was just like, eh, you know, I, I wasn't too into it. So I tried to sell it online. And I let slip that, oh, I work for Wizard. <laughs> And people got so mad at me, like, how dare you get this figure for free? And not, you know, all these other people didn't get it. I'm like, oh, so I just, I, that, I did not sell Molten Man. I just walked away with my <laughs> tail between my legs and held on to him for a couple years. Shameful <laughs> action figure score. <laughs> I know. 
Um, so, yeah, what ultimately led to that original departure? And then how did you come back to the fold then around 2003, as I understand it? So what happened, I was still doing freelance illustration work. The job at Wizard had taken a lot of t- my time, uh, but I'd gotten this job through an old contact with Warner Brothers doing all these uh, kids' books to, to draw. Um, there was a couple of activity books with the Animaniacs characters and some Tom and Jerry storybooks and um just suddenly all this work came in at once i'm like i want to do this this is what i really want to do is just do illustration work i can't do that and the day job so i just made it made the leap and i told steve blackwell i'm like i gotta go and uh the truth is it was kind of kind of a drain being at wizard i really love the place i love the work they paid me really well they were just such nice people but it was a drain i didn't want to leave new york city and uh everybody that worked there live nearby. For me, every time I went in and every time I came back, it was an hour and a half in the car. And that just got to be too much. And also my car was slowly dying. And I had to, so it was either buy a car, move or quit. And so I chose to quit. Yeah, because this opportunity came along. And so for the next year and a half, that's what I did is I drew Tom and Jerry and Animaniac stuff. And then that those opportunities fizzled out. And I ended up going back to another magazine job at a, this magazine called Time Out New York which is like an entertainment guide. And I did that. I just did that for a while. I did web design for a while. I did flash work for a while. So sometime in 2003, I'd gotten laid off at the beginning of the year and I was getting unemployment. And my wife said, why don't you just take some time and try to, you know, see what other opportunities are out there rather than going right back into another day job. And uh, I just emailed everybody I knew, said looking was looking for work. Wizard had given me graphic design work in the past just as like pickup stuff. And uh, they said, well, do you want to do some illustration work? I'm like, yeah. And they sent me this job. It was terrible. It was like uh, 50 Cent was really big. Like he had one of his songs. I don't even I don't think I've even heard the song, but it's called In the Club. And they want to do one, but with Batman. And it's like in the cave. And so I did this parody of Batman and Batgirl and, and Robin and Batmite all like, in, you know, as like early 90s rappers um, in front of a big SUV, big Hummer version of the Batmobile. And it wasn't that great an illustration, but they really liked it and they kept giving me more. And then suddenly like the illustration assignments like that were coming and they were getting, they got better. Like every week they would have something funny for me to draw. And I just kept doing it. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, one in particular, uh, a couple years into that run that stands out to me was the Super Seuss collection where you were parodying oh, yeah. Dr. Seuss and mixing it with Marvel and DC Comics. So we got stuff like Hop on Cobblepot with Batman and Robin dancing on the Penguin. Hop on Cobblepot was mine. Yeah, that was fun because after at that point, after a while, like they would give me these assignments. They would usually they liked me doing illustrations where they had like a laundry list of characters and they'd say put them in an airport put them in uh, at the beach and you know it's for this article about toys or this article about dead characters and i would always just you know, i'd put them all together and i'm like this could be funnier and i would like put in you know i'd stage them in different ways so there'd be gags and i guess after a while they realized like oh ryan can actually come up with some funny stuff and so i was pitching ideas and so i was pitching and the, so the seuss thing they had a couple i remember the green lantern one was theirs and uh was their idea and then i just i just i kept ripping on them and with the topics and with the characters and saying oh you know you can do 
instead of hop on hop, it's hop on Cobblepot. You know, nerds will get that. Well, what's interesting is, so there's the ones that were printed. This is like literally the last page of issue number 177 is where that was featured. But at the bottom, then it says, for more Sioux superheroes, go to wizarduniverse.com. So did you find that your work was being in the magazine and online or sometimes exclusive to either or? I can't remember it not being in the magazine. Um, how many is on that page? Is on the, the suit, There's just the, four. The, there were six. There were six altogether. Okay. You know what? I never looked at the website. <laughs> <laughs> you, you and everybody else. <laughs> they, they would always send me the ma- – almost always I'd get a copy or two of the magazine when they were printed. And I would just you – know, I've got a file somewhere. I, I live in an apartment, so I couldn't keep them all. But I did tear out all the pages of the stuff that I did. Oh, nice. So that's – you know. Now – this is a question I have just in your experience. I, I assume you probably weren't going into their offices all that much, but maybe occasionally during the second run. Not at all. Oh, never. Okay. Yeah, not once. Did you observe any changes just in the magazine itself or the staff there between the 90s and that, as the early 2000s came around? A lot of the people I had worked with originally had moved on to uh, to Robot Chicken. Like a lot of those guys were main staff members when I worked there. But then all the people that I, that I was in touch with the second time around were just the ones that stayed behind. Steve was still there. Dan Riley, who was, was, was a mainstay. He was there. I think Pat McCall was still there. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, the people that I was in, all the, almost all the people that I was in touch with in the second row time around were people that I had worked with in person the first time. Okay. So now here's one person, though, we always have to ask about. Garib Sheamus, cool or fool? Uh, I don't know. We never collect. I never, I think I talked to him maybe twice. And I don't know. Well, I was going to say, that's <laughs> more have, than a lot of people. I, have I really don't have an opinion <laughs> on it. I remember there was one time early on when I just started, I didn't realize he was the owner. I think I did know he was the owner of the company, but they were struggling with the composition of one of the the covers that came in. I think it was of Psylocke and Sabretooth. And nobody was happy with the way it came in. And we actually, Garib actually sat down at the computer next to me, not working with me. We were just side by side. And he played around with the graphics program until it got a version of the cover that he was happy with. We were, you know, the design department was happy with. And then we sent it to the illustrator. I think it was Bart Sears. and said, redraw it like this. That's the only thing I remember. I think that's the closest encounter I had with Garib. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty good there. But so you never had to do like a caricature of him or anything in your illustrations? I don't think so. Now, in addition to, you know, like you said, you, you had some swag that you sold. But did you hold on to any memorabilia from your time at Wizard? I held on to... Oh, now I remember. There was an action figure. It was a premium. It was Power Man and Iron Fist. They did them as like these mini-mates figures. Oh. You know, like the most superposable ones. And they didn't have a design for them, but they knew they wanted to do it. And they said to me, draw Power Man and Iron Fist number 50 as mini-mates. That was an illustration sign I had. And then they ended up basing the figures off of that drawing. Wow. Which was cool. You know, I was like, oh, look, I'm a toy designer now. Yeah, really. for sure. <laughs> you know, also, <laughs> like, well, yeah, I didn't I didn't create those characters. I didn't design the, the mini mate, you know, articulation. They just I just mashed it together for the first time. And I guess they sort of used that. 
That, yeah, that's awesome, man. Okay. But I think, you know what happened with those? I know what happened with those. Son found them and he played with them and they're gone. Uh, and they, they just sort of fell apart. They, they're lost in a toy box. So right. many geek dads <laughs> feel your pain. Now, how would you say overall working at Wizard affected your future projects and your career nowadays? The thing is, I don't think I took full advantage of it, especially on the first time I was there. I could have just connected with all sorts of comic books people, but I was such an indie comics-minded person at the time. I was just like, superheroes, blah, I'm done with that crap. But uh, later on, it definitely opened a lot of doors, um, just people seeing the work that I was doing. And a lot of those illustrations that I did with multiple characters, um, I had so many people just come up to me at comic conventions because I made, ended up making prints of them, saying, oh, my God, I've seen this. I remember this. You're the guy. And then they would check out everything that I did. And I've made connections that way. I know that some, some of those things are like in other comic book publishers, walls and bathrooms and stuff. I know because a lot of them are in co- at the comicsology offices. So, yeah, I mean, definitely having... The opportunity to do illustrations for Wizard in this magazine that almost everybody in the industry was reading at the time. Nowadays, nobody knows what Wizard is, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm still around. We're trying to change that, Ryan. Yeah, but the last couple, last year or two when I went to conventions and I had these posters up, and they're like, oh my gosh, where, I've seen this, where is it? I'm like, oh, you ever heard of Wizard Magazine? And I just get these blank stares, like, no, is that, is that like the convention? <laughs> like, yeah, it's like the convention. Magazine, what's that? Wow, the younger generation. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, get out of here, kid. <laughs> oh, there was one other thing I forgot to say. There was a number of factors that led to it, but it definitely played a big part in getting my first work published by Marvel because the person who approached me was Ryan Penangos, who, because of our connection, and he had just started there um, because of, and had this opportunity to make digital comics, and approached me and Fred Van Lenty about doing stuff for their digital platform, which ended up being this Modoc comic that I did like 10 years ago. So that was really fun. So tell me, uh, what what kind of projects are you working on these days? Because it seems like you've got some pretty cool books that you've put together, among other things. Yeah, the comics I'm doing now, I mostly work with uh, this writer, Fred Van Lenty, who's written a lot of stuff for Marvel, um, you, you, uh, for Valiant. He wrote Archer and Armstrong for a long time. And we do a lot of nonfiction, funny comic books. We started, the first one we ever did was in 2005 called Action Philosophers, which we self-published. And uh, that's moved on to other subjects. We did one on the history of comic books called Comic History of Comics that the IDW did. This year we published, we did four graphic novels for kids about the presidents called Action Presidents. Did one on George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Teddy Roosevelt, and JFK. And right now we're, I'm working on a series called uh, The Comic Book History of Animation for IDW, which is exactly what it sounds like. And the first issue comes out next week. Well, that's great. Ryan, again, thank you so much for making the time and sharing these stories. I mean, like we say, that you're a visual part of, of wizard history. Oh, thanks. The main reason I came on this show is because I wanted you to get Steve Blackwell on it. So, Steve, if you're listening, please come on here and... Tell them all the things that I just made up or, you know, imagine. Please correct everything that I said that was wrong because Steve is a great guy and he knows where all the bodies are buried when it comes to I think that's why he's afraid to join us. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, thank you so much for making that plea because, yes, we're anxious to talk to Steve as well. Well, thanks again, Ryan, and thank you, the listener, for checking out this episode of The Wizard Files. Many more interviews to come, but if you are a wizard staffer who is enjoying the series, be sure to reach out. Let us know that you want to tell your story. We'll be sure to get you scheduled. Your former co-workers are ready to hear your stories, as are our listeners, your loyal readers for all those years. And of course, you can check 
out the rest of our Wizards, the podcast guide to comics content on YouTube. Yes, we have a YouTube channel where we've actually recently featured some exclusive Wizard Magazine content from the website way back in the day. Very exciting tour of the offices full of the wackiness you've come to expect. You can find us on social media on Twitter at Wizards Comics, on Instagram at Wizards underscore comics, and your favorite podcast apps every Wednesday. We give you either a full issues review of Wizard Magazine in addition to our mini episodes where we have a little something extra for you. And we also have the fourth installment of the Roger Corbin Fantastic Four movie review series. Yes, it'll be wrapping up with episode four. We hope you've enjoyed that and so much more to come. So until next time, we're closing the files. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.